We're going to continue, and I would say wrap up because this is the last uh, Sunday in this series, although next week we're celebrating Jesus' birthday, which is the culmination of the series to celebrate Jesus' birthday. But we're gonna uh, we're gonna continue this morning in this sermon series we've been doing. We we spent a few weeks on this coming into Christmas and what it looks like to go home for Christmas. And, and week one we talked about how Mary and Joseph, despite all the hardship they were facing, and they were facing a lot of hardship. Remember the government mandate they go to another place to register uh, the town of of. Uh, their forefathers, essentially, their, their family gathering place to be counted by the government, the hardship of not having a location to go to and then giving birth in that place. We talked about the shepherds who were near in the fields who got to become aware of, of Christ being born and then got to go and witness it and share it with everyone. And, and then the last week we talked about, and we had that location change, which was wonderful because we had a disco ball last week, if you didn't get to come out, uh, about those who were looking, astrologers, not astronomers, astrologers who were looking at the skies to discern the seasons and the times of what was happening, a spiritual application to a scientific reality, and they came and they were uh, far off. And, and I, I shared that last week, but you know how much I love those who believe they're far from God. Right? I mean, I love everyone, but I particularly have a heart for those who believe they're far from God, especially in seasons like Christmas where maybe they don't feel included or they don't get it. What is this even about? And so I loved it that they were invited into the intimacy. And in that moment, all their, all their hopes and dreams, we sang that song, were fulfilled in seeing the Christ. And these, these um, astrologers, uh, these um, Folks who had come from afar, far away from God, actually, when they saw him in the home, they fell on their face and worshiped him because they realized it is the fulfillment that they've been waiting for. And I said that was maybe a manifestation for all of us, if you know people who think they're far from Christ, that ultimately, when they see what God is doing in the total picture, they'll realize that it's been about Christ all along, which is quite a journey to take for anyone. And then this week, uh, we're going to talk about the culmination of what Christ is doing when, at Christmas. What is going on with Jesus at Christmas? One of the things that's come through this series, as, as much of a surprise to me as anybody, is that we've kind of seen this beginning and ending thing with Jesus, right? That he came in person uh, as a baby, but then he, he, he lived his life, and then he died on the cross for our sins. And we saw so many of these parallels between his birth, remember the swaddling in the manger, and then being wrapped in linens in the tomb. Um, we, re- we remember there's so many things that his promises start at the beginning of his life, but are fulfilled at the end of his life, and actually live on forever. But today I want to talk to you very practically again about what is Jesus doing in Christmas like, really and truly, what is Jesus, the baby, doing in Christmas? Or where is he going with all of this and, and, and all the things that we celebrate his arriving? We're going to hear today that, um, for sure, Christ is born among us, right? And then because I just told you at the beginning and ending, we know that Christ raises from the dead, the same Jesus in the flesh that comes to earth as a baby, raises from the dead in fleshly form and ascends into heaven. So we know, well, that's where he's going, right, Billy? He comes to earth and he goes to heaven in bodily form. But there's another part of his journey, which is that he, he actually lives in us, which is probably the most radical proposition of all. I mean, if you think the, the, the virgin birth is radical or the resurrection of the grave is radical, it's a radical 
concept, reality, that Christ himself, Jesus, dwells in us. And so we're going to talk about that, Jesus living in you, which is the message today. So we're going to, we always do, we're going to pray for wisdom that God would grant it, that we could learn. Pray with me if you would. Father God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for a chance to be gathered together to worship you, to sing these great and wonderful songs of your glory, of your sacrifice for us, of your coming to save us, and then uh, all that that means. And today, Lord, I admit I have a small mind. I cannot imagine or fathom the fullness of the gospel that we have been uh, taught to believe, that we've been encouraged to believe And so today, Father, I ask that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would be our teacher, that your word says that you will teach us in our hearts that no one need instruct us, that you would be our teachers, our teacher, that we would learn from you, we would be your students, and that we would willingly sit and be changed by you. Lord, we pray this prayer for your glory and for our good, and we pray it in that name that is above every name, Jesus. Amen. So, so today we're going to spend some time jumping around the Gospel of John. The last few weeks we spent time in one passage, but today we're going to jump around a bit in the Gospel of John. So literally that's what we have for your scripture reference today is Gospel of John. Um, I would encourage you to grab a Bible, open it up, look at it for yourself, grab your phone. We have uh, um, Wi-Fi here, by the way, too. You can jump on the Family BC Wi-Fi if you want to check it out on a tablet or something, but follow along. And I'm going to read these verses. This is the beginning of the book of John. You've heard the words before, but I, I want to hear them afresh, so listen with me. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made, and without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. There came a man who was born of God. His name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all men might believe He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light, the true light that gives life to every man was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to see that which, he came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children not born of natural descent, nor a human decision, or a husband's will, but rather born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. That's a classic opening to the Gospel of John. You've heard it a bunch of times, and it's a powerful narrative in the remembrance of Christ coming into the world. And so the first thing that we're going to talk about today is that Jesus, in his coming, is born among us, right? He's born among us. And, and we've talked about this a lot, that there's something about, we've spent so much time on this idea that incarnational ministry matters and that Jesus coming in the flesh matters. But at a time like Christmas, we can have, I was actually up take my grandson around the square with the, the light, the things, right? And we were looking at all the uh, interesting but rather strange you know, animated thingies, you know, and, and, and uh, we were walking around and he was looking at this and looking at that. And then we had to make a detour out to the corner by the manger. And at first I got, I got a little annoyed because I'm like, now why is Jesus on the corner? Although I will say, I quickly said, well, hey, praise God he's here, right? But he's on the corner. But get this, 
Then my grandson ran up toward the manger. And my instinct was to go, oh, no, no, because everything's behind glass and uh, you can't mess with it and touch it. But guess what? The manger scene is interactive. All the sign says is, please don't climb on the animals. <laughs> There's a lot of leeway given for him to explore, to walk around with people who are about his size and wonder, who are these three guys over here with these gifts? What's this shepherd doing over here? And who's this baby in a manger? Now, there's a sign that says, be careful, the police are watching, because some people thought it was funny to steal Jesus in the past. But isn't it funny that the one display up there is an interactive display? Why would I say that? Because one of the, the, the amazing things about the incarnation of Christ is he is among people you see, there's, there's been many uh, gods who are aloof and often distant and not known, but a God who is intimately known by us, one who lives among us. By the way, I thought it was kind of funny, the word among us, because now that has different meanings in our culture because of that video game, Among Us. And I was thinking about the video game Among Us, and isn't it weird because, like, you're always looking for the imposter, <laughs> the traitor, the one who's trying to kill but when Jesus comes among us, he doesn't come as one who's trying to kill or to deceive, but he comes as a savior, a relevator. He comes as one who is not dead or bringing death, but one who is alive and bringing life. We just heard the intro to, uh, to John, and it says that Jesus is the life of mankind. He brings the light of life. He is, in fact, the light, the life, the radiance, the essence of all humankind. That's a, a profound thing that's being said there by John, right? That, that Jesus himself is a manifestation of the phos, the, the, the light that brings zoe, life, to all mankind. And, and that means that Christ's glory, his light, lives in you and in me. Wait, in everybody, in everybody. You notice this is the beginning, it says, that he is the light of the world. He is the light that brings life to all, what does the word say? Mankind, hmm? humankind. Listen to me, every person on the planet displays the light, the glory of Christ, the life See, that's an all-inclusive statement. Later on in the intro to John, it says, and to all those who received him, those who believed him, he gave the right to become children of God. But there's a, a statement being made at the incarnation that the one who's coming in the flesh is actually the one who gives life to all flesh. That's a totally encompassing statement. There's no one that escapes it. Why would I make a big deal about this? Because I want to say today that that is what makes us unique and beautiful and worthy as humans. There's essentially something valuable in every life. And that, John says, is the light of Christ that brings life to all mankind, all people. It goes on to say then, though, get this now, hear me, that we don't fully understand Jesus. <laughs> that no matter how long you've been a believer, no matter how much you've read your Bible, no matter how many times you've prayed or whatever you've done in your life to become, to become a, a more faithful follower of Jesus, we fundamentally don't fully understand him. What does it say in there? He came amongst the world and the world did not know him. 
We can say as Christians, well, that's the world, but we know him, right? Yes, but fully? In the totality of who Jesus is, with all the, the nuance and glory and splendor and wonder that is included in him? You see, I think actually that Jesus' life among us challenges our understandings. Wait, it challenges our presuppositions about what it means to be a Christian anyway, about who is worthy of being saved. A friend of mine just shared a devotional that she had read, and it was on uh, the story of uh, Cinderella. Cinderella's the one with the slipper, right? They went to the prom, uh, the prom thing, or the, what was it? I don't know. A party, huh? And then the prince showed up, and right? And I mean, that poor girl, you know, like, like nobody loved her, and I mean, she was beautiful, but you know, she was a diamond in the rough. <laughs> you know what I mean? The whole like nerdy with glasses and hair pulled up, and then she takes them off, and, and everybody's like, oh my gosh, how we miss this all the time. That's the story is told. But you know what the devotion was about? About a Christ who comes to the ball and loves the wicked stepsister instead. Not the one that deserves it, but the one that he's coming to save. Those who would, we would consider unworthy of his time. The devotion said something at the end that kind of got me. It said, how do you think of yourself? How, how do you, wait, how do you feel when you think of Jesus looking at you as his beloved? That you know you're not good enough. You know you're not perfect. You know you're the wicked stepsister. You know you're the one that's conniving and dressing up and acting better than others. But that he comes, listen to me, to love you anyway, fully knowing you. You see, the, the Gospel of John introduces this idea that we don't fully capture who Jesus is. We don't fully comprehend who he is. And then it says this, that Jesus gives light to each one and everyone. His light is in us. That he grants us the right to become children of God. Each and every one has the light of Christ. This, by the way, is why we are attentive, we ought to be attentive to, as Christians, to see Christ in everyone, to see what God is doing in everyone. Just a list for you. Maybe especially the person that you struggle the most with. The, the person you, you just go, I just can't stand to be around that person. Maybe it's an, an opportunity to look deeply for Christ in them. Jesus is in there. What's he doing? Maybe it's the reason that we think that every single life is valuable, including in the womb. As believers in Christ, that there's something unique that's happened, that God has done, that, that, that is beyond our understanding. Or, or I mentioned this earlier, maybe it's to, to look in the eyes of someone who's forgotten someone who's depressed, someone who's at the end of the rope, listen, someone who thinks nobody cares, that we can go and look and say, no, you're valuable. Christ is in you. The light of life is in you. And not only that, but that he gives all of us the right to become, he invites us to become children of God. I wonder today, 
I just challenge you like, hey, look for that. But do you know that about yourself? That in you is the light and the life of Christ. Have you had anyone look at you lately and say, it's in you? Not just a theology, not just a philosophy, but a reality. That, that you are wonderful and beautiful because you're here, because God made you. And I don't care what, I know right now there's the objections coming up, but you don't know my defects and my brokenness. Listen, Christ made you, God knows you, and you are valuable, period. And it's us, brothers and sisters, who don't see it, don't see the value and beauty well, Jesus invites us then to receive him, that was funny at Christmas, right? To believe in him and to become the very children of God. And the word says here, born of God, not of man. And, and this is going to get really weird now, but what is it that, um, that Christ is reminding us of already about this rebirth idea? Why would I say already? Because this comes later with Nicodemus in the Gospel of John, but it's being set up here in chapter 1 that you must be born again. You must be born again. And there's a presumption that you've, you're already here. You're already alive. But God gives you the opportunity to know him more intimately in Christ. As a matter of fact, I said beginning and end here, at the end of the, the Bible, there's a book called Revelation. And I'm just gonna read you a couple verses here from Revelation 3, 17. Uh, let's see here, actually. Uh, 19 and 20. That's close. Jesus says these words to the church. This is the church, and he's kind of correcting the churches. He says, those whom I love, I rebuke, and I discipline. So be earnest and repent. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him or her, and he or she with me. So that one. So behold, I stand at the door, and I knock. And if anyone would get up and invite me in, if anyone would just say, yes, the door is open, I would come in and I will, I will eat with you and you with me. We will be, we'll be at table together. This idea that he's giving us, there it is again at the very end of the Bible, the opportunity to become children of God, those who know him intimately. I wonder, have you opened the door to dine with Jesus in your life? Are there places he's knocking and you're, and you're like, in a minute, are you like, come on in? That's what the, the word claims he's doing. He's born among us to be with us. Well, then the second one that we want to talk about today is that so, so Christ is born to be with us, but then that we are made alive in Jesus, that that's the factual reality that we are made alive in Jesus. Now, I told you it's complicated already because then, you know, we're already born. I said that, the light of life is in us, but we are invited to be born again and to have, to be made truly alive in Jesus. And I'm being very careful my language here because I have a tendency to want to say we're alive in Christ, which is true, but I'm avoiding it because I want to say we're alive in Jesus. I'll remind you that in John 10, 10, the, one of my uh, favorite little verses to memorize says this, I have come that they may have life and have it to the fullest. The life there is Zoe, the same life that's in John 1. So he's come that we should have life, right, and have it to the fullest. But I want to remind you that everyone that Jesus is talking to when he says, I've come that they may have life and have it to the fullest, is already alive. 
They're already sucking wind. They're already standing on this planet and they're already being human. But he says, I've come that you can have life to the very fullest. As a matter of fact, the other part of that verse is this. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. But I come that you would have life. It's an antithetical, right? So again, going back to our among us idea, not an imposter, but the real one. Not a faker, but a friend. Not someone who's against us, but someone who is for us. So I'm going to flip ahead now. We're going to look at John 15. I'm going to read a few verses, and then we'll talk about those. John, to make the point here, John 15, 1 through 9, I believe is what we're going to cover. Yep, here we go. Jesus is speaking, and he says this, I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. My father cuts off every branch that is bearing no fruit, while every branch that does not bear fruit, he prunes... So it will, oh, who does bear fruit, I apologize, that he prunes so that it will bear even more fruit. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear life unless you remain in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him or her, he or she will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, he or she is like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. But if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given to you. This is to my Father's glory that you would bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. And as the Father have loved me, so I have loved you. Now, remain in my love, right? Now, that's a lot, but I want to take the central imagery of that, that Christ Jesus is talking about. He is the vine, and we are the branches of the vine. And I don't know if you've ever actually done this, but if you ever cut off an end of a you know, we got a tree right now. we got to prune this tree because it, it died out because of the frost. But if you ever cut it clear off, you can see the center if it's alive. There's sap in the very center of that, right? And he says, I'm the vine and you're the branches. I'm growing. And I want to use that because Jesus used the illustration to say how central he is to us living, to making us alive. I, I told you we were going to prune this tree. Well, the branches were pruning off are dead. When you cut them, they just, there's nothing there. Some of them will break off, but when you cut them, there's nothing there. But the very core, the very center of branches that are alive have the life in them. And Jesus says, I am the vine and you are the branches. I'm feeding you. I'm nourishing you. I'm making you alive. He even says this, I'm causing you to grow. I'm causing you to bear fruit. And he even says this, the father's going to mess with you no matter what. So if, if, if you're a dead branch, the Father's going to prune you, cut you off. And, and if you're a branch that's alive and growing, he's going to prune it so it grows even more. Basically, here's the way I took that, is say that God is constantly shaping our lives in Jesus. That he's constantly pruning and cutting and snipping that we might become more productive, that we might become more alive. Obviously, you heard this in there, too that our lives are no good apart from Jesus, that without him we can do no good things, what the word says. And I know we can make that about 
Um, we can make that about like a, a, a religious thing or a ministry thing, you know, well, yeah, you can't do it apart from Jesus, but you can live a whole life without Jesus and have an awesome life, right? But that's, that's not what he's saying there. He's like, you can do no good thing apart from me. Nothing good can come apart from me. And that means that no matter how awesome of a person you are, no matter how well you've lived, no matter how much you followed, you know, dotted your I's and crossed your T's and did the right things, that there's no value in it if Christ isn't in you that he is the one bringing life. The word says this, fruit will be born. You will bear fruit if Christ is in your life. And, and, then, and then the last, I love this so much, but it says, and, you, uh, and Jesus and his word, <laughs> uh, if we stay in Jesus, remain in Jesus and his word, we can ask anything and it will happen, right? And so I wanna, power and ability and outcome is, is born among us if Christ is in us, that, that there's opportunities that exist because of Jesus and his word. And I want to just say for a moment that that word there is the spoken word of Christ. He says, if you remain in me and you remain in the words I speak over you, that's how I interpret that, the words that I say to you, you will bear fruit. You will, I will be in you, Right? And so we must remain in Jesus, uh, and, and uh, Jesus living in us is never optional. <laughs> it's not a thing you can do away with eventually. You don't outgrow Jesus in you, ever, never, because it's the essential part of what it means to be truly alive. And then the second thing is that we must allow Jesus' spoken words, and the word is remeta in the Greek there, to live in us. His word spoken to dwell and become alive in us. That it would not be just words on a page or things we memorized, but a life that's manifest because Jesus is truly in us. So I wonder, what do you think Jesus says about you when he sees you, or, or maybe more importantly, what you think Jesus uh, says about you, what do you believe Jesus thinks about you? What do you believe Jesus is saying to you? Because one of the realities is, who it's a real fight, you can't read the scripture, and, and hear Jesus condemning you. <laughs> he's always calling us out of death into life for sure, but he's never forsaking us in our sin. He's never leaving us there. But instead, he invites us repeatedly, come with me, dwell with me, live, let me live in you, live in me. And we're going to get there, church. Let me live in you and you live in me. Let's be one. Jesus has a desire to have all of our lives to fully manifest and make us alive in him. I would make the proposition that if you don't think that's true, you're probably not hearing him rightly. If Jesus is a condemning God, a forsaking God. It's not the Jesus of the gospel. It's not the Jesus as we see his words recorded. And I don't believe it's the one that speaks into our hearts. So that's the last thing then. So we're made alive in Christ. And the last thing here is that Jesus lives in us forever. And I'm going to read uh, John 17. So we're just going to go a couple chapters back. John 17 and verses 20 through 26. 
My prayer is not for them alone, Jesus said. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. This is the disciples' message, right? That all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. And I in them and you in me. May they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and you have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I want those you have given to me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you love me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them, and they will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in, in them. Now listen to this. And that I may, I myself may be in them. Jesus' prayer, my favorite, you know, the, the, the Lord's prayer is John 17. He's praying for the disciples, he's praying for the whole world, and he's praying for us. Those who will come to believe because of their message, Father, I pray for them. And what's his prayer for us? That we would be in Jesus in the same way that Jesus is in the Father and the Father is in him. That means that he wants us to be in him the way he is, and he wants to be in us the way he is in the Father. There's an intimacy, there's a powerful reality, and he wants it both ways, a full uh, uh, di dialogue, not dialogical, like combined two people, one flesh, incarnation of his love. And I want you to see that clearly because he's, he's not, now he's, he's saying that the light isn't everyone, John is, but here he's saying to those who've received me, who've believed me, I want you to be in them like I'm in you. This is that rebirth in Christ. The desire is that this relationship will be intimate and eternal. Because I, I say intimate and eternal because it says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was God, and the word was with God, right? So it's eternal, and it's not ceasing after his death and resurrection, of course, and neither will ours. An intimate and eternal relationship. He says this in here, that we together would be made perfect in Christ, in Jesus, that we have been made perfect in Jesus together. That somehow in the struggle of this life, in the, in the brokenness and sinfulness and God's full redemption, that there's a unity and a glory that's revealed because Jesus is always with us. Jesus wants to be with us where we live and he wants us to be with him where he lives. And actually uh, said like, um, that the Lord's Prayer, it says, uh, may it be on earth as it is in heaven. So that's us asking, God, would you make it, make it here like it is there? We want it to be here like it is there, right? And, and Jesus in seven, John 17 is like, yes, and, and I want it to be there like it is here and here like it is there. There's an intimacy in Christ forever. There's a fulfillment of this relationship forever. And so it's more like earth to heaven and heaven to earth the incarnational mystery, the coming of Jesus. And then not only that, but the, the last thing here is that Jesus wants us to know him, and you go, well, good, yeah, I wanna know Jesus, but and be known by him. May they know me like you know me, and I wanna know them 
like they know us. See, it's half the battle to know who Christ is, but to be known by him is a powerful thing. I asked the question earlier, if you're at the ball, do you think Jesus comes looking for you? Are you Cinderella, the one that's beautiful and wonderful but just neglected by the world? Are you one that's fully in the world and broken and sinful? And when he walks in, you're like, well, Cinderella's gonna get this moment, and he doesn't go to Cinderella. Instead, he comes to us. Ooh, those who don't deserve his gaze. Do you believe that God knows you, that he really knows you, that he knows all the things that you think right now when I'm saying these words to you that he doesn't know? Because <laughs> his prayer is that there be that kind of intimacy with him and the Father. So promises forever. John 14, I usually read this at funerals. At some point in the funeral, we talk about this passage says this, do not let your hearts be troubled. He's talking to his disciples. Trust in God, trust also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I am going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me where I am so that you can be with me where I am. You know the place that I'm going. Layman's interpretation Jesus is like, I'm going to go build a house, and I'm going to come back, and you're going to live in my house. You, I know in the Bible, the verse says, my father's house has many rooms, and some people say it's a mansion, all these have rooms in it, and everybody gets, but he's like, I'm going to go make a place for you, disciple. I'm going to go make a place for you, those who believe, and, and I'm going to come back and take you to be with me forever. You're going to dwell in my Father's house forever with me. Not only that, but know it's what the Word says. I'm going to make a place that's unique for you. You're going to know it's home. You're going to know when you arrive that you belong there. It's not something where you're in a crowd and you're lost in the mess, but that there's a place for you with him forever. And in the same way, Jesus right now is making his dwelling in us forever. He will not leave us nor forsake us, but take us to be with him. The promise starts now, but it goes on forever. So I wonder then, do you know that Jesus is living in you? Do you know that he's living in every other person on this planet? that the light of his life is in them? And, and does that shape you, shape your living, shape your faith? Do you, maybe it doesn't, well, then do, do, you, do you pray the prayer uh, that you would have eyes to see and a mind to conceive and ears to hear and a heart to believe if it's not true? Paul writing the church in Ephesus, I'm going to pull it up here on the screen. He says, um, I pray that out of his, Jesus' glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power. Here's the word now, because you go, how is Jesus living in me? Through his spirit in your, there it is, divine inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through your faith. Paul says, I pray that that would be true for you. 
but have you invited them in? And I don't mean just invited them into the nice part of your house, you know. Have you invited them into the closets, to the basement that you think nobody knows about, to the darker places? He's knocking, right? And we're like, yep, come in. Check it out, it's a mess. Do we have that kind of a relationship with Christ that we are made truly alive? Pray with me if you would. Father God, we thank you so much for uh, the condescension that comes at Christmas, that your presence dwells among us in this most mysterious way as a child born in a manger, as a, um, uh, a, young, a young toddler who's worshiped by those who are far away. Father, um, we thank you so much for the, the, the favor that you've demonstrated to all humankind to reveal this truth to us. And we pray, Father, today that um, if, if those, that's not true for us, if that's not true, that we can't see, that you would give us eyes to see. Maybe, Father, we've become kind of used to it. We've become callous to the story. We've become bored with the season. The songs, they all sound the same. Father, would you give us a fresh awareness through your Holy Spirit of what you are doing, have done, will do in Jesus' name? Would you teach us in this Christmas uh, the full manifestation of your love for us? And if, Father, as your, your word encourages us, if, if we are far from you, if we're claiming some prideful accomplishment or something, that we would forsake it, that we would take off the rags, that we would repent of our sin and turn to you, that we would be obedient to you. Oh, Father, what we want is life, the one you made us for. Help us to find that life. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.